and kind of down and out and can't move around a lot, uh, I don't know, there's just something about gathering with God's people and singing praises to the Lord, and I love singing every week, but I've got to admit, this week, uh, when you're kind of dealing, not really with depression, that's too strong of a word, but you know how it is when you just can't move around, you're used to doing that, uh, it just really blessed me to to sing this morning, and Brother Larry was telling me before the service, asked me how it was going, and I said, I'm, I'm getting there, you know, the swelling's going down and stuff, and he said, well, one day, all of us are going to be recycled. It's going to happen to all of us, and uh, man, the Lord has saved us. He spiritually has, has, has taken us out of that grave, but uh, the grave that is this old flesh that is dying, one day it'll be gone, and we will run out of that and uh, be, into, be into a new body. Man, if that's going to be exciting, say amen. Uh, just uh, think about what that'll, that'll be like. Showdowns. Showdowns. The most famous duel in American history occurred between then-Vice President uh, Aaron, Her- Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. That's the most famous duel in American history, Vice President Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Burr and Hamilton were part of that revolutionary uh, men that fought in the American Revolution, came up uh, under those settings and were part of the uh, first government, the founding of the United States of America. Uh, Burr and Hamilton were political enemies. They may have fought the British together, but Burr and Hamilton were political enemies and uh, reached a point that they actually had a duel between each other. It happened because Hamilton was instrumental in stopping Aaron Burr from winning the presidency. Uh, if you remember, when Thomas Jefferson became president, uh, Aaron Burr was also one of those on the, the ballot to vote for, and Jefferson and Burr tied. They tied for the presidency. And uh, Burr and Jefferson tied, and it, I think it eventually got thrown to the House of Representatives, and they had to decide what to do. And Alexander Hamilton played a key role in making sure that Aaron Burr did not become president, but that Thomas Jefferson did. And after that, Burr could not stand Alexander Hamilton, Uh, In those days, the person that came in second uh, became vice president. Could you imagine today if Trump was president and Hillary was the VP? uh, Could you? Woo! Lord have mercy. We'd have more duels going on if that was the case. Uh, But that's how it was. And so Burr was not president. He had had to be the vice president. And um, and it wasn't long until rumors got started that despicable things were being said. that, Burr, Burr, that Hamilton was saying despicable things about Burr. And despicable things back then meant things. Now, you think about what they say today. Uh, listen, the, the, the newspapers have tried to tell you that it's the worst it's ever been. They're lying. Back in those days, they would say things like, he is consorting with the devil. And they would say things about their wives, horrible things that I can't repeat in church. And these things were being said. And uh, so finally, uh, Aaron Burr, and Alexander Hamilton, they, they just couldn't stand each other, and they decided, we're going to have a duel. And so the two men, showdown, met in Weehawken, New Jersey, on July 11, 1804. And you know what's really sad? Is that Alexander Hamilton's son had died two years earlier at that same spot in a duel. Two years earlier, Alexander Hamilton's son had died. On that day, July 11th, Alexander Hamilton used the same pistols that his son had used in his duel. It's thought, there's some controversy, but it's thought that Hamilton shot first and that he shot too high and missed Burr completely. Uh, Burr then aimed squarely at Hamilton's torso, shot him 
and a bullet was lodged into the spine. Murder charges uh, were uh, levied against Burr for this. They were not supposed to be dueling like this, and so murder charges were levied. But he was never brought to trial. But the event ensured that Aaron Burr would never have a political career after that. His political career was done. That is considered by many people to be the most epic showdown in the history of America between two men, uh, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. At least a showdown as it relates to politics. Showdowns. Now this morning, we're going to see one of the most important showdowns that took place in the early church. And this is going to be in Acts chapter 12, so you can turn there. And this showdown we're going to see today also involves blood. It's a very bloody showdown that is going to occur. And the showdown we're going to see is going to change the course of the church. It's going to change the course of the power structure in uh, Israel and the surrounding area. This showdown is going to change the history of the Roman Empire and eventually the entire world. This show, showdown today had uh, consequences across the board. And so I want us to see this early showdown that took place in the early history of the church. And so look at Acts chapter 12 and let's read this together, alright? Uh, verse 1 says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex or trouble uh, certain of the church. Now, this is Herod Agrippa I. He is the grandson of Herod the Great, who was king when Jesus was born. Uh, and Herod the Great ordered uh, the killing of the infants. Remember that, that, that the infants were to be killed because uh, he had been told, the wise men, that a new king uh, was being born. This is that Herod's grandson, all right? And he's continuing the legacy of his grandfather. He stretches out his hand. Now, boy, we know in Psalms it talks about the hand of the Lord. Reaches down and shelters us and helps us. Boy, if you're glad for the help the Lord gives, say amen. This hand is not reaching to help God's people. This hand is reaching to vex and trouble certain of the church. Verse 2, he killed James. One of his first disciples, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to take Peter also. These were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, when he took Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four uh, quintrinians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. And he smote or he struck Peter on the side and raised him up and saying unto him, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. Boy, now we sang that song, we were in bondage, but the Lord saved us and we have run out of the grave. Well, the same Lord that brought Jesus from the grave, this same Father, there is, a, uh, there is this angel uh, that is here, this messenger from God that has been sent to raise Peter out of his prison. So verse 7, the angel of the Lord came, a light shined in the prison, he smote or, or struck Peter on the side, raised him up and said, Arise up quickly. 
and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird yourself, get, uh, lift up your garments so you can run. Get ready to run and to move, to walk. Gird yourself and bind up your sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast your garment about you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And uh, he, he didn't understand. It's not. He didn't understand that it was that it was true, which was done by the angel, but he thought it was a vision. Thought he was apparently thought he was still dreaming. But when they were past the first and the second ward, now he's deep in the prison. He's deep in the bowels of this prison. And uh, once he moves, as starts moving out of the prison, past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that led unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. It just opened up, and they went out and passed on through one street. And forthwith, right after that, the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know for sure, I know the surety, I know it's a sure thing that the Lord had sent his angel, has delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary. So he's free and he's walking the city. He comes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, and there were many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken. She came named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in. She couldn't believe he was there. And she ran and told Peter, stood before the gate. And they said unto her, you are mad. They said, listen, little girl, we're, we're praying. We're busy with spiritual things. He, this cannot be him. You are mad. But she constantly, she kept going. She kept affirming over and over again that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. Uh, some sort of spirit. This can't be him. But Peter continued knocking. There and there, it's not him, it's not him. And Peter's knocking, but you can't come in. Keeps on knocking, knocking over and over again. And when they finally, they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoned unto them with the hand to hold their peace. And he declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and the brethren. All right, so this is another James, this early leader in the church. He says, go show them the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now one, one more thing in our story. Look, look at the next thing that happens. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what become of Peter. And when Herod sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and their abode stayed there. He's in, he's in Caesarea. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. The old king's upset. Why? Well, you'll see. They came with one accord to him, and they made Blastus the king's chamberlain, his advisor, their friend. They desired peace. Why did they need peace with Herod? Because their country was nourished, or, or they got food from Herod's country. And uh, they needed to make peace with him. There had been problems, but they needed peace because Herod ruled the breadbasket, and they, uh, they needed the crops, they needed the food, or they were going to starve. And so upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. He got all decked out and dressed up, and he sat upon his throne. And he came and he made an oration to them. He, he pronounced words unto them. He came and got all dressed up in his pomp and his power, and he came and he, and he talked to them. And the people gave a shout. These people gave a shout. And they said, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord. The angel came to see Peter now 
The angel reappears. Immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. But this time it wasn't to strike him, to raise him up. This time the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and he gave up the ghost. He died. The angel of life, just as in uh, the plagues in Egypt, the same angel that can give life comes and gives death to this one who would steal God's glory. He was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. This morning's showdown is between Herod Agrippa and God. A few weeks ago on a, on a Wednesday night, we, we looked together uh, in my Wednesday night class, we looked at this story and, and we focused on uh, mostly Peter's set of circumstances. Today in here, I want us to focus on something different. I want us to see in this text this great showdown between Herod and the living God. Now, if the Burr Hamilton, if that, if that uh, great event changed American history, this showdown between Herod and God changes the world. You know, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The Bible tells us to God's people, uh, you don't, listen, I will take vengeance, I will defend you, I will be your advocate. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And this morning we see an example, a local example where God decisively avenges his people. Now the book of Revelation points us towards future events when God will decisively avenge all the saints in the earth. And we see what happens when that occurs. Here we see a local manifestation of what Revelation points us toward. God is avenging these believers who are being persecuted. Herod in the text is clearly a bad guy. There's no question about who wears the black hat in this story. It is Herod. But today's text is convicting to me because it reminds me that although I do not have Herod's power, I actually wrestle with the same sin that Herod has in his heart. The old man, the old flesh, it is clear the, the same sins that Herod has, you have and that I have, and they must be crucified, the Bible says, must be put to death. Paul uses that language, even those of us that are believers, we have this new flesh, this new spirit, but he warns us that the old wars with the new, and, and Paul is clear, it must be crucified, it must be put to death. So what is Herod's main problem? What is this main problem that I would say Herod had and that I have? Herod's main problem, his great problem, is self-exaltation, self-pride. Would you say that after me? Say self-pride. This is at the root of what Herod is doing. We look at Herod and we say, how could a man kill and persecute these innocent Christians? How could he persecute the church? And the simple answer is Herod is all about exalting himself. That's one thing about Herod, Herod that is uh, without question, he's all about exalting himself. And he finds himself in a social moment, in a political moment, when the way to exalt himself among the people, among the Jews at least, the Jewish leadership and many of the people, is to persecute these Christ followers. If he does that, they will exalt him, they will praise him, they will be happy with him. And so how does Herod go about killing these innocent people? Well, in the climate of the day, he finds persecuting them will bring him favor. Look at verse 2 and 3 again. Look at what the Bible says. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, because it made them happy, he proceeded further to take Peter also. That's what Herod wanted. He wants to be exalted and lifted up. And this leads him to kill James and to imprison Peter. 
You know, the Bible teaches us that faith looks toward God. A faith is in the midst of your circumstances, your life. Faith is about looking toward God, exalting God, and trusting God. One way that you exalt God is in the midst of your battles and struggles, the things that you can't understand, you know, the things that do not seem clear to you, when you, even in the midst of the things that are not clear, you continue to look with God with faith and trust Him in the midst of your struggle. That brings God glory because when you do that, when you with faith look to God in the middle of your struggle, whatever it is this coming week, when you continue to look to God and say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand, but I'm going to have faith. I do have faith in you, and I'm going to trust you. When you do that, that exalts God because when you do that, you're saying, God, these troubles are bad. These problems are big, but God, you are even bigger. If you believe we serve a big, big God, say amen. So faith is about exalting God. But self-pride is about exalting yourself. And you know how self-pride works. We have pride in ourselves, but we have a little bit of doubt, a little bit of question. Well, I think I'm pretty good at this, but, but uh, I need some assurance. And so sometimes if you play sports, you'll, you'll look at a weaker opponent and you'll think to yourself, well, I'm pretty good, I'm better, I'm better than that person. Or maybe your musical talent. You'll think, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I've, I've learned to play. I'm, I'm pretty good at my musical talent. Or maybe you're singing. You think, well, I, I can sing pretty good. Lord knows I can sing better than that person. You think, man, I've, I've got some, some real talent. Or maybe with your, your gardening, you think, no, I'm, I'm a good gardener. I, I do a lot, a lot better than this one or that one. Or maybe you have good health and you think to yourself, I got, I got good health. I'm not like that pastor. He's a wimp. I'm never down and out, you know. And uh, we find all kinds of ways to exalt ourselves and to feel good about ourselves. And, and one way we do that is we compare ourselves to others. Well, Herod, he, he, he looks at the people, and he wants approval, and he realizes the way to get this self-pride, this self-exaltation, is by taking these folks captive. And so his problem is, his main problem really is pride. Herod wants to lift his name up. So one way he does that is by killing Christians. Another way he does this, we see at the end of this story, and it's what combines this whole thing together. There's a second way that, he, or that, uh, that Herod shows his self-pride. One is in killing Christians, and he lit, so the people will praise him. There's another way. Look at verse 20. Look, at, look again. We just read it. Herod, was, he's not happy with Tyre and Sidon, but they need his food. And so verse 20 tells us they made friends with the king's chamberlain because they need, they need food from the breadbasket. They don't have enough to feed themselves. And verse 21 says, there came a set day that Herod arrayed in royal apparel. He, he puts on, you know, you know how they do, right? I mean, you got to get dressed up. You got to look good. You got you to be impressive. You got to be impressive. Um, you know, one thing about early Baptists in England that got them in trouble and, and other free church groups that, that would be similar, uh, is they said, hey, you know, hey, listen, man, it's not, about, it's not about putting all this fine robes and wearing all this kind of stuff. That's not what it's about. It's about the heart. And what God does to the heart, God sees the inside. And, and one of the challenges some of those early groups gave to other believers in England where some of that stuff started, they said, hey, man, we've lost our way. We've, we've got all this fine stuff, and we've got all these fine things, but that's not what it's about. In fact, we can dress ourselves up and, 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 and do all that, but, man, it's got to be in the heart. Well, Herod, he's getting all fixed up. And you know what royalty did back then? They, now, remember, the common person that day, they probably only got a couple of outfits, maybe. I mean, clothing's not really a problem for them because you, you, if, unless you were the upper group, you didn't have a lot of clothes to choose from anyway, so you couldn't, you, you couldn't pick from a bunch of outfits. But royalty, they could get all dressed up. 
And there's really no middle class like we have today. They had it, but it was very, very small. And so the common people, when royalty would show up, and they'd be in all this finery and all this, and all this stuff. I mean, the difference between the common person and the ruler was huge because they couldn't dress like that. And, and we know from looking at things, boy, they would shine and they would sparkle. And what were they doing? They were showing up to show their authority and their power and that they were in control. And so it says that, you know, this is, I mean, God's word wants you to know this. He got decked out. He, Herod, with his self-pride, he, had, he is at his best, buddy. He is ready to show them, I am Herod, and, I, and, I, and, and, I, and I've got it. And I'm going to show you I've got it. And so he comes in all his, all his fine array. Look at verse 21, royal apparel. And he sat upon the throne, and he made an or, or, oration unto them. Now, we have the word of God. This is the word that directs us and guides us. And our God, the Bible says, he sits on that heavenly throne and he guides the affairs of men and women and he speaks to us. Well, here is Herod and he is a, he is a petty king who believes he's got the ultimate power. And he also is sitting on a throne and he is decked out in his fine apparel and he is speaking his words. And verse 22, all of this, what does it do? It leads the people to blasphemy. By the way, that's one reason early Christian groups... Uh, in our tradition and others spoke against some of this. They said, you do all this, and if you're not careful, you're going to get so focused on those things that you're not going to give God the glory. You're going to be looking at all this man-made stuff, and you're gonna, that's where the glory is going to be, not to God. So I want to tell you something today, man. We live in a very politically divided world, and we live in a world where, uh, where you think about Silicon Valley and, and technology. In our world, technology, if you're good at technology, you have a lot of power and a lot of authority. And, and those people are real hip and they're real cool and you can get caught up in that. Or if you're in sports, you can look at athletes and you can look at how, you know, the way they dress and what they do. And you can think, man, I want to I want to I want to be like that. You know, I want to be like that. Or even it can happen in church like our musicians. Right. Our people that do music, especially our young people. I want to tell you this, man, don't don't get just caught up in what everybody else is doing and feeling like you got to look like them and act like them. Like be very, be very, very careful about that, because if you get caught up to too much other people and evaluating your life and then before you know it you'll also do blasphemy it may not be as clear as this but you'll do blasphemy in your heart where you're no longer exalting god you're looking to somebody else or some other way or some other purpose and you're saying well that that's what i'm supposed to be like and if you're not careful it can lead you to sin that's why people sometimes wonder how you know how can christians uh how can they sometimes watch things that they know is sinful like that the new testament tells us don't watch that kind of stuff don't put it in your mind how, how can we watch that Sometimes Christians listen to things. Sometimes they dress in ways that we know, man, that's not good. That's bringing attention to you and exalting you. And there are ways men and women can both do this. And, and, and you know, sometimes ladies in, in our society, sometimes it's really easy to show the flesh off. It's getting to be summertime. And I just ask one thing, man. And, and don't, don't, I need to be careful I say this because I don't really want you to do it for me. I want you to do it for the Lord. But just do me a favor. When I go to the ball field this summer, like, don't, don't make me embarrassed for my kids to see you. Which is another way of saying, can we just be real? Because the, the kids are in children's church. Ladies, like, you know, keep the goods covered up. Amen? Can we, can we cover that up, right? And men, listen. Dude, you don't, you don't have to. You've been in the gym working out good. I'm glad for you. But, you know, you don't, don't find all your self-pride in the fact that you've been in the gym and that you're in shape. And then, you know, folks like me, they got a belly right here. Let's keep that covered up, too, because that looks really bad. Like, there's no... William, you got to stop, man. All right, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love it. So Herod, he, so I'm, what I'm trying to do here is make you see, like Herod's problem really is our problem. Herod just has more power, more authority, and he's going to put the power of the kingdom on display, and he's going to speak words unto them, and the people, all this leads them into blasphemy because they're desperate. 
They're desperate. They're so desperate because their world is falling apart. And sometimes when your world is falling apart and you get desperate, you start, if you're not careful, instead of looking to God and having faith, you'll start looking at tangible things that you can, that you can grab hold on. And it might be, a, it might be a, a man and a woman you're in a relationship with. It might be your job. It might be some talent you have. Be very, very careful. So what happens? They say it is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord killed him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and he gave up the ghost. Here is Herod is pinnacle. The people of Tyre and City and they're in danger of losing their food supply. He really thinks he is God because if he doesn't feed them, their children will starve. And so they come groveling, looking for any way to please mighty Herod. They need Herod. And Herod wants them to see that they're right. You do need me. Oh, you so desperately need me because I have the food that you are in need of. And so Herod, in one sense, Herod does hold their lives in his hand. At least with human eyes, that's how it would look. So here is Herod arrayed in all his glory, sending one message to his people, you can't live without me. That's what all this pomp and all this, uh, uh, the way he's dressed up and all these words of orations that he's going to give, life-giving words. Okay, I'm going to let you have your food. I'm going to give you life. All of this is to lift him up and allow him to to live in his self-pride and his self-glory. You can't live without me. And you dare not oppose me. That's what all this is about. This whole episode is a, is a direct violation of what Jesus said in Luke 22. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 22, verses 25 and 26? Look at that up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you, all right? I've got part of it up there on the screen. Jesus said, uh, he, he said to them uh, in verse 25 of chapter 22, he said, the kings of the Gentiles, The Gentile leaders exercise lordship over them. Those that are in charge of the Gentiles, they let you know they are in charge. They exercise authority upon them, and they they, they call themselves benefactors. Oh, we're just taking care of you. We're just helping you. But it's about their power. It's about their authority. What did Jesus say to his disciples? But you shall not be so. You will not be like these Gentile leaders who lift themselves up and show their authority and and, and trample upon the common man, you will not be like this. But he that is greatest among you, the one who is the leader among you, let him be as the younger. Let him be as if he just got started, as he's the newbie in the group. And so he has no expectation about you owe me this and you owe me that. And I've earned this and I've earned that. He says, no, 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 don't do that. He says, let those that are are, are great among you, let it actually be like he's the one who it's, it's the first time He's ever sung with the choir. It's the first time he's ever given a a two-minute speech to the church on Youth Sunday night. Let it be, let it be, as if you're not great, you are among the least. He that is chief, as he or as the one that does serve. Herod is in direct violation of what Jesus said. He is fulfilling what Jesus said. This is how those without the word of God, this is how they live, and he's in direct violation violation of what God wants. In allowing us to see where Herod's arrogance leads, God's word implores us this morning to kill, to do what we're taught in the New Testament, to allow the Holy Spirit daily to crucify this flesh, to put to death the promoting of yourself and instead promote Jesus. Because every day it will be a battle between faith and doubt. 
there is a struggle. He makes it clear there is a struggle that is there for the believer. Will I point others to Jesus? Will I live in the power of Jesus? Will I depend on his Holy Spirit to guide me and direct me? Or will I just try to do this all on my own? So the final analysis of this text this morning is that Herod's real battle is not first and foremost against the Christians. That's secondary. The reason Herod is opposing the Christians is because of a deeper spiritual reality. Herod opposes God. So this morning, I don't have th- I don't have three points. I don't have, you know, all this stuff. I just have something real simple to say to you. Don't be a Herod. Do not be like Herod. Don't fool yourself into thinking that your little corner of the world is all about you. Now, I imagine these Christians, right, they're afraid of Herod. They're, they're afraid. Fear is not is not what God wants for his people, though. But, but, but Herod's got some power. And so I, want to, I do want to show you, not really three points, but I want to show you three ways that God, and this is real quick, but three ways that God undid what Herod did. See, because at the end of the story, Herod is in control. And Herod kills James and he takes Peter prisoner. But in this story, God, he, he does three things where he undoes what Herod is doing. They're afraid. Why did God do this? Why does, he, why does he do these three things? To show these believers that are afraid. To show them you don't need to be afraid. Herod's not God. I'm God. First way he undermined his authority. He set his prized prisoner free. Why did Herod kidnap Peter? Look at verse 4. Uh, he, he, wait, well, look at verse 3. He said he did it. Why? Because it pleased the Jews. He's pleasing the Jews. But what is the church doing? Look at, uh, go on and look at uh, verse 5. What's, so he does this to please Jews, but what is the church doing? Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing. They would not stop praying at the church, of the church unto God for him. People constantly, they're constantly praying and thinking about Peter and lifting him up. When James was martyred, how the text started, I'm sure some begin to doubt. Some begin to think, oh man, some, some started wondering, does God care about us? Has he forgotten about us? Others probably started wondering, maybe God is not as powerful as I thought. If he's allowed James, if he's allowed James, who was a friend of Jesus to be killed, maybe God's not in control. But you know what God does with Peter? Peter allow, God allows Peter to be free. He it doesn't just allow him, he intervenes and frees Peter. And I think part of why he did that was to send a very message, no, 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 James is dead, but I'm still on the throne. This didn't happen. Yeah, they did it for evil purposes, but it also happened because I was ready to bring James to me. I'm still in control. So with Bill and Anna Harrison, you know, here's Bill. He's gone. I mean, you guys don't, some of you don't know Bill, but he's an older member of our church, faithful to invite people to call people to come and pray on Sunday mornings. And Brother Bill, I think, I think this year he's been in church one time. And Brother Bill had to have hips, his other hip. And then Miss Anna's wife has to have surgery, and they can't be together, though, because Bill's at rehab in the hospitals, and here this wonderful couple is, and they can't be with each other. They're both going through this. Listen, is God still in control with Bill and Anna Harrison? Yes, he is. Brenda Farrell, stage 3 cancer, back in the hospital today. Is God still in control with Brenda Farrell? Yes, he is. Is God still in control at your school this week? Yes, he is. Is God still in control of... America and Spain and what he does and doesn't allow all over the world. Yes, he is. If you believe God is in control, say amen. But sometimes we doubt. When our Jameses die in our life, we doubt. And so, man, God is good and God lets Peter be free and it sends a message. I'm, I'm still in control. Second way, he undermines his authority by setting the prisoner free. Second way he undermines his authority is he just flat out kills Herod. He just says, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. 
Herod, you've had plenty of opportunity to repent. You've been, you, you rule this nation where you've had plenty of access to the word of God, and you continue to do wrong, and you can continue to harm others. And so the angel of the Lord shows up twice a chapter. This is why. When you say why, when the, when the angel of the Lord shows up to Mary to tell him that she's going to have Jesus, why is she afraid? When she shows up Joseph, why are they afraid? You know why they're dead? Because when the angel of the Lord shows up, he can give life, but he can also give death. And see, that's the part sometimes we don't want to talk about. Because that's not really correct today to talk about it. And it's not, people are not comfortable, because it's not okay, because we're way too comfortable living the lives we live. And we don't want to be reminded that the same God that loves us is also the God that says, man, listen, are you going to continue in self-exaltation? Your self-exaltation is going to lead you to death. And you understand, the angel Lord shows up. I know what we say at funerals. And listen, I'm not the judge of people's eternity. And I'm glad the New Testament takes that away. Like, I don't... It, it's not my, God will, God will decide, but the Bible does tell us the only ones that really have hope are those that are in Jesus. So I've got to be honest about that. I'm not the ultimate judge, but the Bible does say, hey, is Jesus how you know where you're going to go? Otherwise, you're condemned. So, you know, sometimes we kind of pretend that everybody that dies, that the angel band comes and takes them to a happy place. But that's not what the Bible teaches, does it? The Bible teaches the angel Lord can come and give life. And he does take many home to the Father. Praise the Lord for that. But the Bible is clear that there are those that have stayed in their self-rebellion and their self-exaltation. There are those that have stayed in their sin and they have lifted themselves up. And when he comes for them, it is, it's death that he brings. And we serve a good God and a God who is in control. But when Herod continues to punish these people and hurt these people and kill his church, and kill his people, the angel of the Lord finally shows up and finally brings an end to all of Herod's little games. He may play at God, he may play at God, but now he has finally met his God. And the worms eat him. And Herod has caused so many other to have a showdown with death. He called James to have a showdown with death. God allowed Herod to bring James to death, and, and Herod has brought many people to death. He's from a family that had a family legacy of bringing death to many, many people. But now the angel of the Lord has come and brought death to Herod. So I kind of like this with Herod and God, the showdown that they've had. It's God one, Herod zero, no rematch necessary. No, no, no rematch. There's no, there's no rematch. It's, it's, it's God wins, Herod loses. Now, I don't know who's tormenting you this week, students. I don't know who picks on you at school. Uh, I don't know at your work who harms you or is doing things to you. I don't know all this stuff, but I want you to know someday God is in control. And in this instance, Herod needed to go, and God, and God took him out. He sent the angel of the Lord to end this. Third way, God undermines Herod's authority by setting Herod's prized prisoner free. He undermined his authority by bringing his life to an end. And then thirdly, he undermines his authority by enabling the word to spread. Look at verse 24. Starts off, James is in prison, and he's killed. And then they get Peter and they throw him in prison. Why is all this going on? Because he's going to persecute the Christians. He's going to stop the word of God. He's going to snuff this thing called the church out in its infancy. Herod is in control and he's going to put it to an end. But what does verse 24 say? But the word of God grew and multiplied. Herod's goal is to magnify himself. God's goal is to magnify his son Jesus. And he wants you to magnify Jesus in your life. And so he has sent his word. God has sent you his word today to have a showdown with you. Did you know that? You didn't know that today. You're in a showdown today. You and this place are in a showdown where God has sent his word to you. 
And he is saying to you, all right, I've given you my word. I've given you the example of Herod. I've, I've, I've given you these events that, that happened. And now it's your heart. When it comes to God, are you exalting yourself? Are you looking to others for approval? Or do you look to God and have faith in Him? Are you just trusting in you and that maybe it'll all work out? Are you looking to Jesus in the best and the worst times of your life? You have intersected this morning in this place where we've been singing about Jesus and praising Jesus and hearing from missionaries today. Man, it's, it's, it's been a good service, but God has brought you here today for your life to hear this Word of God. The Word of God grew and it multiplied. The Word of God grew. It's expanding. Those that are encountering it and hearing it. And so what God wants for you today, are you exalting self or are you exalting God? Are you exercising faith or are you wallowing in self-doubt and self-pity? If you're not following Jesus, I mean, I, I can't make it any clearer than this text. You either follow Jesus and have life with Him, or you follow yourself. And the worms of death are coming for you as well. You know what the good news promises? It promises that Jesus has secured something better for you than the worms of death. If you're glad that there's more to this story than when they put you in that box and the worms get you, if you're glad there's more to your story than that, say amen. There is more. That's why those in the hospital, we can exercise faith today because we know that there is more. We know that there is more. Jesus has secured something better for you than the worms. He has secured for you the right to stand in the presence of God and to do what we did today for all of eternity, to praise His name, to lift up His name. And I don't know if you've ever taken stock of your life, but a text like today is time to take stock of your life. This morning, may the Holy Spirit is confirming in your life. There are ways that I am exalting myself. Crucify that. Kill it, believer. Kill it. One way, you, one way you kill it is you confess it. You acknowledge, hey, I struggle with this. This is where I look for approval from others. This is where uh, I'm not looking to God. This is where sin is in my life. You confess that. You confess it and you believe that Jesus will forgive you of it. You crucified that. If you're not a believer today, if you're not a believer today, the story of Herod is for you. It's for you to know that, man, you may not have the power that Herod had, but you've got the same problem in your heart. But you don't have to continue Herod's path today. Today you can know Jesus. You can know life. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing. And I know today there's, there's probably a believer here. There's something you need to crucify. There's something you need to confess. There's something you need to be honest with God about. If that's you, man, we're, that's why we come on Sundays, to praise God and become God's people. And God's word has grown and now it needs to grow in your heart. It needs to expand in your life. But for somebody, that means some confession of sin that you need to make. Unbeliever today, man, the God, God's word has come and it wants to grow. And God wants to expand his kingdom and he wants to do that in you today. If you need to come, listen, you, you need to come and pray, you come pray. If you're not a believer, you come right here. We'll turn this microphone off and put a hand around you right here. And I'll talk to you right now and we can talk today. You can be saved today. You believe that? Say amen. You can be saved today. Would you stand with me and let's sing today. And let's sing and let's, let's praise the Lord and let's, let's continue to worship him. And believer, listen, you need to come today and crucify. You need, to, you, need to, you need to name some sin, some issue. You need to pray with somebody else. Listen, you come. That's why we're here. If you're a non-believer, you need to be saved. Man, we've been, we've been praying that you'd be saved today.
We want you to come and experience life. Father God, thank you. Thank you that in this showdown, you remind us you are supreme. And Lord, you, uh, you didn't put a bullet in a human spine, but Father God, you've, you've done much more than that. You on the cross through your son Jesus, in his body, you have destroyed sin. And so Lord God, even as this one has come already and as others may come this morning, Lord, I pray, would you just be with us and would you be with this time? And Lord, if there's one who needs to be saved, Lord, help them to feel free to come. God, help us to exalt you today, not us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, go sing. If you need to come, there's already one here. Listen, if you need to come, you come as we sing this morning.
foot to bow, praising Jesus. People in prayer in Jesus' name this morning. these praise. Keep praising the Lord today. probably another today. Man, they need to quit trusting themselves. They need to trust Jesus. Father God, this is your time. Continue to move. Continue to remind us that it's not about what the world tries to deceive us and confuse us into thinking what it's about. Lord, this is what it's about. It's about praising you and honoring you and confessing to you. Lord God, you just keep using this time right now Let's just continue to pray as these pray. Let's lift them up right where you're at or you can sing. We'll just continue to worship as these pray at the front. 